I do think that some of these emotions can be really isolating because you feel lonely and like you're the only one who's experiencing it and you're not. And the second I opened up about it, I realized how many other people were struggling with very, very similar emotions. And so I do encourage anyone listening who is struggling with these types of emotion to seek out whether it's professional help or family or friends or someone to speak to because you'll realize that you're not alone. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health issue in the United States. With estimates of 40 million people in the U.S. diagnosed with anxiety disorders yearly, it's quickly becoming a national crisis. There are so many things that cause people anxiety, including relationship troubles, financial burdens, social interactions, and uncertainty. But surprisingly, one of the most significant culprits of anxiety is loneliness, especially right now during the pandemic. And I can personally relate to this. Being pregnant during the pandemic, since it started back in March, my first trimester was scary and lonely. No one prepared me for the uncertainty I would experience almost daily. And like many of us, I wasn't seeing my family or friends or anyone for that matter outside of my husband, who is amazing, but not a woman who's ever been pregnant. With so much uncertainty right now, it's important to have easy tools and inexpensive resources to support you on the daily. And that's exactly what my guest from New York City, goodness knows she's been in New York the whole time during the pandemic, Cameron Rogers, is going to be sharing with us. She'll be sharing the tools that have been working for her during some of the toughest moments of anxiety. And if you want more resources, you can absolutely go and check out my episode. It was episode 178, which really focused on stress and how to banish stress with three simple strategies. Now, in this episode, I don't just talk about stress. I talk about anxiety as well. So if you're looking for more resources, this is an episode to go tune into. Now, in that episode, I provided some powerful strategies for you to take in order to take yourself from a stress state anxiety state to a relaxed state in a matter of 60 seconds. I also share a really powerful supplement that my husband and I have been taking this entire time, especially when things ramp up for us emotionally, especially when I've been pregnant. It's my most popular supplement in my store. It's called Magnesium Restore, and it is made with chelated, highly absorbable and bioavailable magnesium glycinate. And I recommend 600 milligrams, that is two capsules, anytime you're feeling anxious. Now, I always knew that magnesium was great for sleep, for digestive support, and honestly, among 300 critical reactions inside of the body. But I was personally amazed at how well it worked to calm my nerves and to shut down that mental chatter of uncertainty before going to bed. Now, the benefits, I think, is because it works so quickly. Now, we have been taking two per day. I especially have been taking it when I start to feel that kind of restless energy or that kind of buzzing feeling. That's kind of what happens to me when I start to feel anxious. And within about 30 minutes, my mind relaxes and I just feel so much calmer. 
Also, I love taking a great supplement like this and pairing it with an essential oil like lavender because lavender works instantaneously. The magnesium will work over time. Now, I will have the link for my magnesium restore in the show notes in case you're looking for a natural solution to calm the mind with other side benefits. And this will be for episode 222 today. Now, I want to dive into this incredible conversation with Cameron, but first I want to sing her praises. Cameron Rogers is the content creator in the health and wellness space and the voice behind Freckled Foodie. Her mission is to make healthy living approachable and to reassure everyone that no matter their emotions, they are not alone. Let's welcome her to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Cameron Rogers, honey. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I am so happy to have you as well. Um, doing good. You know, it's August. It's the summertime still and trying to enjoy um, as much as we can, um, given the circumstances. And today, you know, one of the things that my my amazing podcast listeners are always reaching out for is ways in which not only effective ways, but really approachable and easy ways. I mean, I think we're always looking for the kind of an easy way to manage some of our emotional stuff going on. And today we're talking about approachable ways for managing anxiety, even during difficult times like this. I know so many parents right now are trying to figure out, do they put their kids in school? Do they wait? Are their kids going to fall back? I mean, there's a lot as we, as we kind of leave the summertime and head into the fall, it just feels like there's a new series of challenges, a new series of unknowns. And I'm really excited to have you on today to talk a little bit about your own experience with anxiety and a lot of the different modalities and tools that you've used over the years to help support you. And then talk about how some of those tools have impacted your journey. But I would love to just have you share a little bit about yourself and your story, really about your journey with um, with anxiety. Absolutely. So all of those things are great. I definitely want to touch on all of them. As you mentioned, I'm Cameron Rogers. I personally have struggled with anxiety, honestly, for a majority of my life. I think it was something that I always felt and I have very vivid memories of having physical reactions to certain topics. But at the age I was probably 10 or so, I didn't have the, I guess, verbalization or knowledge of the terms to really pinpoint, oh, this is anxiety. I would just say, I feel so nauseous. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Can we stop talking about this? And even throughout high school and college, I honestly was really kind of almost in a sense accoladed and given positive feedback on my anxiety behaviors because they caused me, I'm a big people pleaser and time is a big anxiety trigger for me. And I don't want to let people down. I like to check off boxes and that's all wrapped up in my anxiety. And because of that, I perform really well. I'm a very big quote unquote doer or overachiever within my anxiety. And so with that, every time I would do all of these things, I would get great feedback and positive affirmations and, oh my gosh, way to go. You did such a great job without the realization of the anxiety that went into that result. And it kind of positively reinforced my anxious behaviors. And not that anyone was doing it on purpose, but that's kind of what started to evolve throughout high school and college. And it wasn't really until five years out of school when I was working um, in sales and trading at JP Morgan in a very, very high intensity, anxious, 
you know, fast paced environment that it really hit me how anxious I actually was. And the only thing that really made me realize that was when I had a bit of a life altering moment. I actually got hit by a car and I suffered from a pretty bad concussion. And so I was on disability for two months and it was the first time in honestly forever that I was forced to slow down and sit with my emotions and my feelings and really acknowledge them. And I couldn't mask them up in overachieving or overperforming. And that was the first time I really noticed how anxious I actually was and how how much I really had to make the changes for myself and my own mental health and really put myself as a priority in this because it was affecting so many different aspects of my life. And I think I had just kind of tried to swipe it under the rug as much as I could have at that time. It's surprising that it started so early in life too, and then just kind of evolving into who you became. One of the things, you know, listening to your story and listening to how leveraging people pleasing and leveraging perfectionism and just kind of showing up and then getting all those accolades. How did you reconcile when you kind of had that defining moment, you get hit by the car, you have this crazy, crazy stressful job. And finally it all kind of just hits you like, Oh my gosh, this, this whole life I've been living, all these things I've been doing. It's it, it, there's been a cost to it. How did you reconcile one all the success you've created, all the accolades that you got, right? From all of those things, there's a lot of false positives and definitely the types of false positives that keep us running and, and really keep, and there's probably true positives in there that kept you achieving too. You even wonder like, if I had not been that kind of way, I wonder if I would have achieved all that I would have achieved. Um, but then rec- recognizing that it was s- severely detrimental to your health, what did that reconciliation look like for you? So I've had very a, kind of a very similar track. I wouldn't say anxiety so much. I had really severe chronic fatigue and burnout at the age of 30 after running as fast as humanly possible and all the accolades, all the, all the wins, and then t- paying a really heavy price for it. And then having to reconcile that, it was very messy. Yes. I too dealt with a slew of health issues that came from all of this. And for me, the reconciliation, it was tough. I mean, it's hard to really, it's hard for someone like that who is a type A go, go, go person to sit with it and actually take the time to acknowledge it. And then also, I mean, for me, it honestly changed my life because it ended, I ended up quitting that intense job that we were mentioning and doing my Freckled Foodie account and now podcast full time. Because for me, the moment of sitting with all of that made me realize that life is very short and I do have to make myself a priority. And if I have the ability to do something that I love and brings me joy rather than something that is feeding into all of this anxious behavior, I should take the chance doing that. And also coming to terms with the fact that I don't have to be this perfect person. And you know, there was so much that I was holding back on doing out of this unrealistic fear of quote unquote, letting people down. And quitting my job was one of those things. I was so nervous what people would think of me and I didn't want to let my boss down. I didn't want to let my team down or my parents down. In reality, they were all supportive of the decision and they're all proud of me and happy for me. I'm not letting anyone down by doing that, but also realizing that you can't live your life by simply having a goal to please others rather than doing what you actually want to do. Hmm. 
in the concern and a little bit of that fear of, oh my gosh, I'm about to let all these people down. I'm about to let myself down. Like, look at all the things that I've worked for at a massive price. I'm not happy or kind of realizing that you weren't, you weren't really happy. It's so funny how we can just like charge in one direction and, and, and have blinders on kind of like total blinders. Yeah. Yeah. Just walking straight forward until one day you're like, oh my gosh, this, I am miserable. But then again, that, that moment where there's concern that I'm, I'm about, it feels like I'm about to throw all of this away. Everything that I'd worked for. Was it the fact that the health situations, like the health issues were just so compounding or you just had that serious moment where you're just like, I am so unhappy. I've got to figure out what's really going to feed my soul. Like talk a little bit. Cause I know so many people are there right now, you know, in the unhappy job. And I know some of us don't really have the, sometimes we don't have the ability to, to walk away from what we're doing, but sometimes we do, especially when we kind of have that confronting moment. I find so often, especially with women, that it really takes a confronting moment to like, we had to get Mack trucked <laughs> before we decide that it's time to make a major shift. So talk to me a little bit about what did it look like? What did it take to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Yes. I may disappoint people, whatever I need to do what's right for me. Right. And I mean, you're completely right. My friends joke all the time. It actually took me getting hit by a car to quit my job. And <laughs> that is, I didn't even do, think about that. Yeah. I mean, quite literally, that is what happened. So, and exactly what you said about the blinders. At this point, I was working at JP. I was r- trying to run this account on the side and we were planning a wedding. And I kept saying to everyone, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm okay because I'm doing, I'm just continuously busy. I feel like I'm running hundred miles per hour with the blindfold on and I'm sure I'll hit a wall soon, but I don't know when it's going to be. So I'm just going to keep running. And I was saying that regularly and little did I know the wall was a car. But for me, honestly, the thing that really put everything into perspective was that was when I began my meditation practice. And you know, with a concussion, you can't be at the severity that I had. I couldn't really be on technology. So I couldn't be on social media. I wasn't able to do any type of emailing. I wasn't even watching TV. I I really couldn't read either. All I could do was journal. Um, I learned and then practiced meditation and spend time with people who would come to the apartment and talk to me. And through conversation came to the realization that Yes, there's a lot of privilege that goes into this. And I was in a financial place that allowed me to make this decision. But coming to the realization of what's more important, and that was a long, long, long journal prompt that I probably wrote about for months. Um, But is it my health and my mental well-being and my actual happiness? Or is it living up to people's expectations, making a certain amount of money and not, quote unquote, letting people down? Again, a false reality and story that I had been telling myself. And through those journalings with the accident at the forefront, it really became clear to me that life is too short to be living in fear of letting people down or because you feel you have to be doing something. And for so long, I think a lot of people who are in that place wish, oh, I wish I knew what I wanted to do. I wish I had a hobby. I wish, you know, I wish I found something I was passionate about. And I had found that. And then those who find it a lot, I think, wish, oh, I wish I had the financials to do this full time. I wish I could take a risk. And I had, I was in a place where I could. And so it became less of a, like, should I do this? I don't know. This is crazy to, I have to do this. You know, it, it honestly became very clear. And I credit 
the clarity to meditation. And it's why I haven't missed a day since honestly the day I learned because it changed everything for me. Mm, I love that. I also love, I just want to take a little bit of a moment and speak on the journaling. I think journaling is one of the most powerful ways for us to get such clear clarity on what we really love. It's one of my favorite questions to ask myself every day is what would you love? You know, there was a time where I was over-exercising so much that I was creating a lot of massive burnout. I already had the burnout. The exercise wasn't doing me any favors. Same. We had very similar history, it sounds like. And I'd still just do it. I wouldn't ask myself, and I wouldn't ask myself, do you need to go to, are you, is your body, are you cool with going to a CrossFit class or body? Are you good with going to some crazy class? I would just go. And then after that workout, I was pretty much flatlined for the rest of the day. And I wish I would have, you know, in some of those years, I would have just asked myself, like, what would you love? What would, you know, asking my body, what would I love? And my body would have been like, hell no, I don't want to go to that, that class. I want to go take a walk. So I love that because people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you all the time, how did you know, or how did you get the courage or because it's such a big decision to, to go from this direction to this direction. And without really asking yourself those questions or like free journaling, what is it that you would really fuels your soul and really feels like the right thing? It can be very difficult. You know, one of the things I find, I ask women all the time, if they have a joy list, if they just even know the things that they love to do. And most of the time I find that they don't, they have no idea. Um, no one's ever asked them that, or they've never asked themselves that. It's just a little thing like that. And then you think about the bigger thing, like what would I really love to do? What would set my soul on fire? I think those are questions that we just don't ask ourselves enough. Totally agree. And also just, you know, what are the buckets that you want to fill up? What do those look like? It's similar to your joy list. And, you know, I'd like to visualize it where I quite literally have a bucket and it's, you know, time with my family, time with my husband, cooking, reading, the things that make me happy, spending time in nature and making sure that I'm actually putting water into each of those buckets and distributing to my liking so that I feel my best. And for journaling, it was something that I only really started during this time and I actually have the journal from that period of my life and I'll read it every once in a while. It's constantly me writing to almost a future version of myself, contemplating whether I should quit my job. And I find that that's when I get the most clarity of my own thoughts. And for me now, what I do is every morning before I open my phone, before I open my laptop, After I meditate, I sit down with my coffee and that's the time where I journal. And so I write down three things that I'm grateful for. And that could be something that happened yesterday, that week, that morning, even something as simple as the five minute I cuddle session I had with my puppy this morning. And then I do three affirmations and that's more focused on body positivity and confidence and that whole spiel. And then I do three things that I'm manifesting as if they've already happened. So I'm so grateful. Like I, was so amazing to hear myself on XYZ podcast, a show I want to be on, that kind of thing. And then I just do a free journal and I really just, you know, put pen to paper. And it's honestly sometimes just a massive brain dump. For me, it gets a lot of the clutter out of my head, all of those thoughts that, you know, are stuck in our minds, like they're in some type of prison cell. Once I release them onto paper, I feel personally that I'm able to let them go. I set them free and I can move on and start my day with a clearer mind. Mm. 
I love that. And I'm so glad I wanted to touch upon the meditation piece as well. I have a feeling, you know, and and definitely let me know when you first started meditation in that healing part of really just healing your brain, right? Concussions are no joke. And that's a lot of healing that has to happen. And absolutely right. No electronics. I mean, it's a no-go for a lot of things. Love that meditation felt like a great place to kind of start that healing journey for you. Knowing that you kind of had been going, going, talking about the doer, talking about check, 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 crossing off all the things on the list, planning the wedding, doing the things. How, you know, so many people, the biggest concern around meditation is they're just going to do it wrong. And I always like to tell people there's no wrong way to do meditation. There's no wrong way to do it. So talk to me about the beginning of your meditation journey and, and what that was like. And whether it was it was ease and grace or there was a major struggle, like you just all the racing thoughts about what the wedding needed to look like was going on in your brain. And how did the how's that transformed over the years? And then also in more details, is how long are you meditating? Um, does that vary? Is there like a Bentley meditation and then maybe like a you know, like the average everyday meditation? Talk to me about that. So it's actually very interesting because it's intertwined a lot in exactly who I was in a specific phase of my life. And I think who I've become. So my three of my close girlfriends all attended an in-person meditation school called Ziva Meditation. I love Emily so much. Same. Okay. I love her. Yeah. Yes. So that's who I learned from. Yay. Yay. She is amazing. She is a role model of mine. I had her on my show as well. I love her. And my friends had attended her school and they were like, Cameron, you would love this. You have to do it. You have to do it. But of course me, the perfectionist and the go, 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 I'm too busy for the world. New Yorker was like, well, when would I ever find 40 minutes in my day to meditate? I don't have time to do two 20 minute meditations. I'm already getting up at 5 AM. That's just not happening. And my friends kept trying to tell me that what I didn't understand was if I would just give into it and try it, it would make up for itself. And I would maybe even feel like I had more time in the day. Of course, I didn't believe them. And so I would schedule it on my calendar. And then every time it would like get close to coming, I'd be like, oh, I can't do it this week because it is a commitment. It's a time commitment to go to the school. And I actually had scheduled it for, I think it was like this first weekend of March. And I blocked it off my calendar. I committed to my friends that I was going to go this time and really learn. And it was, it actually ended up being four days after I was hit by the car. And so I called my doctor and I said, I have this thing scheduled. If my mom can safely transport me there, are you comfortable with me going? It's really just sitting in a room and hearing a woman speak and meditating. So honestly, it kind of seems like the only thing I'm able to do right now. My doctor was all for it. And so while I wish I could say with confidence that I would have gone had the accident not happened, I do feel like I probably would have found an excuse and pushed it off again. So it's what got me in the door and she forever changed everything for me because she spoke exactly what I needed to hear. And this is what I tell people all the time, exactly when they say, but I I am not perfect at it. I'm not good at it. How do I get better? There is no perfect you can't get better. It's something that you practice and you can't have any expectations. That's one of her main, I don't like pillars, I guess maybe she would call it of Ziva is that there can't be any expectations for your meditation practice. And something that really resonated with me is yes, while I have fleeting thoughts that happen throughout my meditation, I focus on the one word that we're given. And 
you almost feel like your mantra is a guest of honor at a party and all of the other thoughts are just people arriving at the party and you're not going to open a door and slam it in their face and go walk back to the guest of honor and not let anyone else in the party. You would let them in like a thought, acknowledge it, and then go focus on the guest of honor again. So yes, thoughts obviously arise while I am meditating, but I kind of think of it as a boomerang almost where I let it in one side of my head and I visualize it. I let it in like a temple area. I acknowledge it and then I let it out the other side and it might come back around in a minute or 10 minutes or whatever, but that's fine as long as I'm acknowledging it and releasing it and going back to my mantra. So that's the meditation that I practice. It's mantra-based 20 minutes in the morning, every single morning also supposed to be 20 minutes in the afternoon. I'm really trying to work on my afternoons. It's hard for me because I've built my morning routine. You know, the easiest way to add something to your routine is to tack it onto something that inevitably already happens. So I know every morning, hopefully I will wake up and I meditate right away. I haven't tacked it onto something tangible in my afternoons because I feel like they're changing all the time. So I would say I probably get in an every other day afternoon session, but I'm working on it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, love it. I love I love Emily. I love Ziva. Yeah, we we also practice Ziva meditation and really good again having that morning ritual with meditation, but sometimes the afternoons definitely can get a little bit <laughs> they skip away. <laughs> they skip, All of they a sudden do. it's just gone. Yeah. And wonderful. And have you so real quick on, you know, just about the benefit of meditation for anxiety. I think about meditation as a there's so many benefits, clearly. You know, in, in a lot of ways, clearing the mind, easing grace, and really kind of just keeping fluidity for you and flow, and as a preemptive way to really kind of support you every single day. And I don't know if you've ever used meditation when you're kind of you're starting to feel very anxious. Yes, I've tacked it on. At oh, have times. you? Yeah, meditation is just always in there, and then I have other tools that I use if I'm feeling stressed or or overwhelmed at something. So I wanted to know if there were other strategies you were using. If you do find like all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're feeling overscheduled, overcommitted, you're feeling like your mind is racing or you're getting a little snippy snappy at people, you know, whatever the tall tale signs for you when it comes to feeling anxious are, what are some other strategies that you have found to be really helpful on your journey? Yes. So I definitely have a toolbox of things to help and snip, snipping and snapping at people is definitely a sign for me. It's interesting because my therapist would say that I when we first started working together, I would say, well, I don't understand. I'm doing all of these things. Why am I still anxious? And she's like, well, that's your perfectionist trying to perfect your anxiety. And I kind of came to this realization that maybe it's something I'll always have, but I can find ways to help manage it and kind of avoid it if I can and prevent it. And then if it happens, have things that I can fall back on in that moment. So things I do for preventative measures I limit my caffeine. That's a big trigger for me. So I have just a very small cup of coffee in the morning and kind of cap myself off at that. I definitely limit time on social media and other apps like that. That also is a trigger for me. So I have time limits on those apps that are set. So they will shut down when I reach a certain time. I have downtime on my phone. So at nine o'clock, the whole thing is off. It just shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know you can do that. Oh, yes. Downtime is key. So great. And when does your downtime turn back on in the morning? Around like seven-ish. So I've been up for like an hour by then. 
So definitely not jumping first thing into work or social media. My morning routine is big for me. So that's my meditation and my, my journaling is another thing that I'm using to prevent my anxiety. I do take C- CBD every day and I, I really have noticed a difference with that. I see my therapist weekly, which I realize the financial privilege and I'm so grateful of that because she has helped me immensely. And then I actually am also on an anti-anxiety medication. And honestly, that happened after my accident. My anxiety started to manifest in migraines and I had never had a headache before in my entire life. And all of a sudden, post-accident, I woke up with a headache every day for over six months. And it was either a small headache and maybe it would go away or it was a small headache the entire day or it was a small headache that turned into a bad migraine and led to my first few panic attacks. And so my neurologist at that point felt very comfortable putting me on a medication that actually would not only help with anxiety, but also is meant to help with the neuroreceptors that happen after a concussion. So a specific medication that is oftentimes given during concussion recovery. So with all of those things, that's how I'm trying to prevent my anxiety. And then when I do still have those moments, because again, we can't perfect it. Honestly, I turn to breath work. So usually in those moments, I feel overstimulated, whether it's by people I'm with or apps or things in technology. So I set down the things. If I'm with people and I can, I exit the room, I give myself space and I actually sit with myself and I do the box work, breath work. So I'm inhaling for four seconds, holding for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds and putting some form of actual physical touch on my body. So usually a hand on my chest, a hand on my belly, I'll either be sitting or lying down, but I really just need that time to reconnect with myself. And that's also sometimes where I'll throw in an additional five or 10 minute meditation if I feel I need it. Hmm. I love the the breath in and breath out. And then the touch is so important to kind of change the state of the body. Um, I know we briefly mentioned, I mentioned essential oils with you too. I love those for for the breath work because they can instantly kind of calm the limbic system down. And that may be something worth trying like a lavender or a cedarwood or Roman chamomile is just something that's really, and then what I love a lot about the aroma of oils is that we develop um, neuroplasticity around that smell. And so every time we go back to that smell, it reminds us, reminds the brain to kind of relax. I think of essential oils, CBD, supplementation, breath work, meditation, um, those are all safety signals that we're sending to the brain that everything is okay. And so any way that we can send those little safety signals up to the brain that says, we're good, everything's cool here, the more the brain's like, oh, okay, we're good then. So I love that those are, you have a lot of safety signals. Yeah. It's like what you were saying. It's almost like that spa reminder. Like when you walk into a spa, you instantly feel calm because you're smelling the sense of a spa. So it does send you into that place. And when it comes to physical touch, it's interesting. I actually hold my hands when I meditate in the mornings and afternoons. And I don't know why, but it's such a calming thing for me that like holding of myself in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's been well-researched too, especially when we think about the fight, flight, freeze, especially when people are feeling so anxious, they're frozen. The best way to kind of move someone out of that is with touch and is with movement because it shifts the state. Because at that time, your brain is just in mega survival mode and there's got to be a way to shift it out of survival mode. That makes so much sense to me that the touch piece is working 
And I think a lot of people don't realize the power of touch, especially when we're feeling like things start to constrict. So I love that that's a strategy that you've discovered and that we can do it ourselves. Ideally, it's nice if someone's there (laughs) to kind of just, you know, touch your shoulder or give you a hug or kind of just be there with you. But the good thing is that we really can, we can do that for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Talk to me a little bit about the CBD. When did you start taking that? Like kind of when was that aha moment for you? So honestly, it I would say it was a little over a year ago and I was really interested in it, but I was also very hesitant and very skeptical because I do think that when CBD first kind of became mainstream popular, it was almost like the quote unquote snake oil and you didn't know who to trust. And it was all of these bodegas in Manhattan with neon signs saying, we sell CBD here. And not all CBD is created equal as research has obviously proven. So I was very skeptical, but I had heard incredible things. And on my Instagram and blog, I partner with various brands in the wellness industry and Within months, it was an influx of 10,000 CBD brands looking to partner. Everyone was launching a new CBD and people were asking me a lot about it. And I felt that I had to find a brand that I felt confident in trusting and promoting. And so I tried a few and I spoke with a few founders and I asked for their extensive research on the back end and kind of found found out what I need to look for as a consumer. And I ended up landing on Beam. I don't know if you've heard of them, but Beam CBD, they're Boston-based. And they basically tried to create an approachable CBD product as two former professional athletes who had to give up their careers because of injuries. And they were trying CBD and realizing how beneficial it was for them and for their physical recovery. And they wanted to create a product that told more of that story and was more approachable in a sense. And so now they have blends. And I know we spoke about supplements before, but you know they have like a dream blend that has CBD, but it also has magnesium and it has melatonin. And they have a revived blend that I take in the morning that also has turmeric and black pepper. So they're trying to create more supplements also focused on CBD. And so I started taking that, I think a year ago. And again, very skeptical at first and started to notice a big difference. And I know some people take it at night. I don't usually have a hard time sleeping. I do take their dream blend around my menstrual cycle because that's when I have the hardest time sleeping. But I take their tincture in the morning and I think it it really just helps me like calm that a little bit of anxious energy I have to start the day. Because for me, time is a big trigger. So when I wake up, it's like, oh my God, I have so much to do. And that's when I turn to it in my morning kind of elixir that helps. Well, I think, yeah, I'm finding that it's really interesting to see CBD um, being connected to adaptogens or other important minerals. I definitely know people are, are playing with, you know, the great thing about a C- CBD is that it's an endocannabinoid. And, wh- you know, and that specifically is working not only with the endocrine system, but then also CB- CB2 receptors in when it comes to our neurochemistry. And so, I know the more and more research that we kind of dive into with CBD, especially for working with a high quality product, we're finding that there are definitely so many great benefits. And goodness knows there's a lot of people who are taking CBD, hopefully a very good quality CBD, and, and are having really great results. And so definitely just a, another great, more natural option for a lot of people. 
especially depending on what, you know, the thing about my anxiety is it's a spectrum, you know, and it can, it can really range, you know, depending on where people are in that spectrum. So, you know, the, the different types of solutions that we're talking about today, whether it's CBD, whether it's taking magnesium, you know, at night before going to bed or even magnesium during the day, like 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate, or it's using essential oils and breath work and meditation or mindfulness, or giving yourself a time out on social media or having my, your phone block. Mine is off from, I want to say mine's off at eight or I think it's eight to eight or nine to eight. And so, that's a long, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm trying to get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really not great at setting boundaries. It's something I'm working on. <laughs> you know, I think when you realize, you know what it is, is that I came to the realization that people, everyone's going to have, always going to have demands. There is no lack of people wanting or needing something from you um, <laughs> ever. Whether it's a text message or an email or it's a DM or whatever it is, there's always somebody needing something. I have learned that it's rarely an emergency. It's like, it's almost never an emergency unless it's like some kind of like family circumstance, which hopefully that's never happening. But I think once I realized that I was like, I do not need to be responding or even looking at something that may trigger me to want to respond. Right. That's the hard thing for me. Yeah. I open my phone and then I'm like, well, now I want to <laughs> respond. And then you're like, oh my gosh, why did I, why did I do that? Cause now I have to make, now I'm in this decision mode where I got to decide not to respond or then I got to respond. And, you know, and that can, especially for women who are always taking care of people who are always showing up for people. Now you've just put yourself in a predicament that you never needed to be in. And so I just got into the habit of just like, shut it down. Like I, there's nothing I need to see from eight to eight in my day. So that's how I rationalized all that. And I journaled that out myself. You know, so many of these big decisions that I've made over, over my, my life and especially in my career is that I just journal them out. Like, how can I really show up to serve? And that just, that wasn't allowing me to show up to serve in the way that I really wanted to, because I was grouchy about it. No, same. And then you start to dread being in contacted by people and you dread your phone and you shouldn't necessarily, I mean, sure, whatever your phone, but you shouldn't dread interaction with humans. So I I totally agree. It's all, it's all about setting boundaries. It is all about setting boundaries, especially if you are serving people all the time, because people, I mean, at the end of the day, people are really needing support. And so you can just get wrapped up in a tornado of all of that. The last question I wanted to ask was based on, and I don't know exactly when the accident was, but in the in the last year or so or however long it's been, what changes can you speak to that you've experienced or you've learned, you know, having these tools or just managing your anxiety? Like, how has that shifted who you are? How does that shift how you show up? Or even how does that shift how you feel? every single day. Um, Cause I want to paint the picture of what's possible. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was struggling with chronic gastrointestinal issues. And while there was a source that we ended up finding, I think a lot of it was also tied to my anxiety. So my everyday digestion is infinitely better. It's not even a comparison. So that's been a huge physical change for me as a person. I'm showing up as more of a listener 
who's actively listening and actively participating in conversations. I used to, and unfortunately I picked up this habit more from work, but because it was so fast paced, when I would have conversations with people, I would say, especially if it was someone I was close with, like my mom, come on, speed it up. What are you trying to say? Come on, come on, come on. She's like, "What? Where? where is the rush here? Like I was just not good with downtime. And now I feel more comfortable in that space and relaxing. And I allow myself to enjoy that moment rather than think about the 10,000 things I have to do next, which is where I constantly was. I also have found comfort and confidence in the gray area when it comes to food and exercise. With my anxiety, I was really seeking control and tangible things that I could control were the foods I was eating or how much I was working out, how fast I was running, how many miles I was running. And I started to become a little obsessed with all of those things. And they started to actually control me rather than what I thought I was controlling them. And now being more comfortable in that gray space has allowed me to let go and have freedom with what I'm eating, have freedom with how I'm exercising, actually finding a deeper connection to my body and asking myself how I'm feeling and then listening to what my body is saying in response and then moving on from there. And you know, each day is different and there are still days where I feel very anxious and I don't know if that'll ever go away, but for the most part, there have been those types of massive changes in my lifestyle that, I mean, I sometimes look back and feel like a completely different human. Hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm sure in a lot of ways you just are in general, right? And that, I bet that feels really good to see that transformation on the other side. Yes, it does. It definitely does. Hmm, I love that. I love the way that you paint that picture. Not only were some physical wins, oh my gosh, we know that the gut is so interconnected with everything, particularly the way that our, our brain is functioning, our, our, uh, how our serotonin is created. There's definitely an interconnection there. So seeing the gut health, the mindfulness, the ease and grace, like you know, not having to, not counting the miles or how fast you're going and just, you know, just really... I think there's a lot more enjoyment and not to say that people shouldn't count the miles. I know my mom runs like, I think she runs 10 miles every other day. And so she, wow, good for her. Know, she really loves that, but that there's joy in it opposed to controlling of it. Right. Cause I had hit a point where there was no joy in it. Yeah, no, it's no fun anymore. Absolutely. Is there anything else, Cameron, honey, that we, um, I feel like we touched on so much. Was there anything else, any, any words of inspiration you want to, to leave us with? Cause I know that so many, so many people are on this journey, especially right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we covered a ton. I think my biggest piece of advice would be to practice the act of letting go and trusting that things will change. Nothing is permanent. That was a big thing for me when I was in the spells of this all, I kept thinking this is how I'm going to feel permanently and reminding myself that everything is temporary. Also, I do think that some of these emotions can be really isolating because you feel lonely and like you're the only one who's experiencing it and you're not. And the second I opened up about it, I realized how many other people were struggling with very, very similar emotions. And so I do encourage anyone listening who is struggling with these types of emotion to seek out, whether it's professional help or family or friends or someone to speak to, because you'll realize that you're not alone. Hmm. I love that. And I think that message is so, so important. 
And I'm so grateful that you said that in the end, um, you know, as women in particular, and so often we feel so isolated, especially right now, things just feel isolating. Mm-hmm. We're definitely not alone in this journey and opening up, having those conversations. I think it's one of the most important things that we can be doing right now. I agree. Yay. And now where can we find you? I know you've got a podcast and you're on Insta. So Instagram is at Freckled Foodie. All of my other channels are linked within there. It's my most active channel. And then my podcast is Freckled Foodie and Friends. And we release every Friday morning at 6 a.m. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Cameron Honey, for coming on and just sharing your your truth with us today. It's been so powerful. I know that there's so many little strategies you shared with us that I think are going to serve so many women. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. One of the things I loved about Cameron was her real talk around the multiple solutions that have worked for her on the daily. Sometimes we need to hear another woman, just like us, share what's working for her. It's a journey that we can all relate to at some point in our life, potentially more now than ever. So if you want to check out Cameron and her Rockstar podcast, you will find a link for Freckled Foodie and Friends in the show notes for episode 222. And if you are looking for a natural way to support your body and address those anxious feelings, I do highly recommend you check out the Magnesium Restore Supplement. Most of us are deficient in this critical mineral, and I know that you will be amazed at how quickly it will work for you and for your family. The link for Magnesium Restore will be in the show notes again for episode 222, or you can go to my website, drmarisa.com slash shop supplements. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. If there is someone in your life who needs this message today, send them on over. Have them listen to episode 222. And upcoming on my next Q&A Friday podcast episode, which is literally just a couple days later from this one, I'm going to be bringing the business on the number one hormone to watch out for at 40 years and older. Hint, it is not estrogen. I know you were thinking it was estrogen, but it's not estrogen. I'm really excited to be sharing this powerful hormone that we have got to keep our eye on. And I recommend monitoring this hormone consistently. I know I look at it and monitor it as much as I monitor my thyroid levels. So I'm excited to share this hormone that doesn't get enough love, especially when it comes to women's health. I think it's going to be surprising, but I can't wait to set you up for success. Well, I hope that you are having still kind of a summery, beautiful time right now. And I look forward to connecting with you on Friday. 